HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with my friend, Mike Friedman. And I'm glad I get to say that. You know, <laughs> I have a lot of guests on this show that I do know have a rapport with, but uh, you and I have been crushing pizzas for the past, I think, like 48 hours. And yes. We have a history of uh, uh, pizza in our blood as well, not just as humans, but, well, we are humans. For the most part. Yeah, for the most part. Um, there it is. <laughs> Down in D.C., it's the capital of many things, but I don't feel like it's ever been a culinary destination for pizza. Sure. But somehow, in the past few years, you've made it one. There's all-purpose pizza. There's about to be a second one. Uh, you also are the proprietor of the Red Hen in D.C., which I think is 
one of the best plates of pasta I've ever had. Thank I mean, you. the cacio e pepe, as well as uh, your your mezzi rigatoni. Sure. I mean, it, it's phenomenal Italian-American food. But you, you're a good uh, Jewish boy from <laughs> New Jersey. And the path into you know, Italian food and making that your life is a fascinating one to me. So let's talk a little bit about American history, your, your major in college yes. and why you kind of use that context and form how you cook. I mean, it's a great question. And thank you for all the lovely compliments. I feel very good right now. <laughs> From all the pizza. Yeah. Too much pizza. Um, you know, I grew up in a Jewish household within an Italian community, so I like to say that you know I have double the love for food with half the guilt. <laughs> um, went to college, uh, graduated, didn't like the career I was doing, and, and I started cooking. Um, but I loved cooking because it, I was part of a team. I think that was the biggest thing for me, and to be able to connect with people on the same level was important. Um, I always loved uh, being part of a team or, or teams, and. Um, I, you know, I played hockey in high school and I was terrible, but I loved being part of the team. I was like the biggest cheerleader on the, on the bench. Um, when Red Hen opened, when I was young enough and dumb enough to open a restaurant, um, nostalgia played hugely into the, into the menu. You know, I wanted things to put on the menu that people could eat and connect to on whatever level it was. So if you're talking about like the Mezze Rigatoni, that's kind of like Sunday gravy at its best. Very, very simple, very delicious, very built, very much built out of the basic building blocks of cuisine, like fat, flavor, acid, salt. That's it. And that's the way we do a lot of our food. When, when it came to pizza, um, I was sitting around with my business partner, Michael Malley, and we were discussing what to do in our next venture. And I was like, oh man, you know, because we used to crush pizza all the time when we were younger, working in DC and going to, you know, wood-fired pizza joints and just saying, man, wouldn't it be so fun to open up a pizza joint one day? And we were sitting around, we were drinking a coffee. It was the end of service one night after Red Hen. And I was like, dude, pizza. What if we did pizza? And he was like, oh, no. (laughs) And then from there, it was born. And a lot of it was about what kind of product that we wanted to give to the community. Um, And what ended up happening is that I wanted to do something that was uh, more or less a love letter to my youth. And that's how All Purpose came about. As much as it is a love letter, it's so well informed from your travels and from your work. You know, you spent years with Richard Melman in Chicago, with Jose Andres at Zatinia in D.C., um, and then traveled throughout the Mediterranean and uh, North Africa. And, you know, I find not just techniques as, as an accomplished chef, but I find these flavor profiles and, and cultures, you know, within this context of red hen and all purpose and Italian American in air quotes. For sure. Yeah, I think that um, at Red Hen, we cook under the umbrella of Italian cuisine. So if I lean Greek or if I lean Moroccan, I, I always like to say, well, the Roman Empire spanned quite a long way, you know, and, and also along those trade routes, you know, when we talk about history, I mean, there's so much hit- so much history in the spice trade and in the way in which the Roman Empire changed how people ate. Um, when it comes to all purpose, this idea that we delved into Sicilian uh, food and Italian American roots, right? Like, so during the immigration waves of the late 1800s and early 1900s, you had mostly Southern Italian immigrants coming into the States. You had a couple pockets of 
northern Italians, whether from the Veneto or Piedmont. But for the most part, you had you had Abruzzo, Pugliese, you had uh, lots and lots of Sicilians. So when they came to the states, they settled. They settled in these kind of impoverished areas, um, and they wanted to cook the same food that they ate in their homeland, in the motherland. But they had to find ingredients that were American, and thus Italian American food was born. For me. I really wanted to connect with that, but I wanted to bring it a step further. I wanted to bring it into the modern realm. And I think that at all purpose, when we do our deck oven pie with a great dough, you know, I think that if we weren't doing wood burning and we were doing deck oven, I had to create flavor out of the dough because with wood burning, you have, you have the smoke, you have the fire, but with deck oven, you really have to focus on what's in that pizza dough and then what's on that pizza dough. So we really tried to focus on really high quality ingredients and respecting tradition while also innovating off of it. I think that's important. And respecting community, and I kind of want to go back to something you said about impoverished areas, because when you opened up the Red Hen and Shaw, uh, mm-hmm. there wasn't much going on. <laughs> and even where AP is now, you know, five years ago was a very different place. How, how do you open something or do you open something in those areas because economically it makes sense or it makes sense for you as a restaurateur to build that community with you? Uh, I think, I think it's a reciprocal. I think that, I think both of those answers are correct. I think that, uh, 20 years ago with restaurants, it was location, location, location. Um, and you know, as a business person in DC, I I learned really quickly, especially with the advent of Uber, uh, with the ability to get around a city really easily. Um, it's, it's deal, deal location. Um, for us, we found a dilapidated space that was empty for 25 years for Red Hen in a community that we could see was, was growing. So we got a great deal. Uh, but we also were able to offer people that live within that community, something that they couldn't get before. Um, with all purpose, it was a great deal. It was, uh, the right time. Um, and also nobody else was doing pizza in the area. So we were able to kind of capture a market and corner the market in that sense while also doing something passionate. The biggest thing about opening restaurants is that you have to be passionate about them. If you're not, people will tell. Yeah. You, know, you can tell really easily when someone cares and then when someone doesn't care. I'm still at the restaurants every day. I think that's really something that connects with the staff that I work with, connects with the, the people that are serving the food, and, and also it connects me to my favorite part about a restaurant, which is the food. Yeah. And it feels like a second home. It feels like a home away where you're, you're comfortable enough to have, you know, go there maybe once a year and feel like a regular already. But you know, a lot of people frequent it, you know, multiple times during the week. I mean, uh, it's, it's not only a price point, but it's also this comfort food. That's not overly conceptualized. I mean, it's just pasta and pizza when you kind of break it on down for sure but let's talk about this pasta and pizza and what's kind of revolutionary with the way you approach these you know very simple and humble ingredients the pasta three flowers how many flowers do you actually use we i use three flowers so i use um double o uh caputo flour from italy i use semolina flour and i use all purpose and that's born out of a recipe that I was developing early on for, you know, what some people call a strong dough for making pastas like Orecchiette or Jamili's or um, anything that you would roll out by hand but had to have a toothsome nature when you cooked it. Um, but what I ended up doing is I ended up extruding it. Um, and 
staging and working for Head to Tails with Chris Cosentino and seeing his extruder kind of was a, a game changer for me and seeing that you didn't have to do handmade pastas. You didn't have to do raviolis. You could do something different. You could capture al dente in, the, in real time. So I used that strong dough and extruded it. And what I was able to do is I could extrude it, refrigerate it, and then freeze it and then cook it from frozen state, and it would only take about 30 to 45 seconds, and it was al dente and perfect. And it's mind-blowing because it's like this great in-between of fresh pasta and dried pasta. Yes, I, I actually call it fresh dried pasta. Yeah, it is so toothsome, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a texture that, you know, they always say cook till al dente, but I feel like there's no way to cook it other than al dente. I agree. You, if, if you try to cook it past al dente, it will just fall apart. You've done the same thing for pizza. In that, you know, you've explored a lot of different doughs, cheeses, sauces. Um, how do you kind of conflate all those different pizza experiences you've had into a singular dough and that be the dough of all purpose? It started about a year before we opened the restaurant, um, which basically right when we signed. I knew that I had to do a lot of research and development. I had to get my head in a lot of books. Um, I started in, I started in bread. I think that was the most important thing. I kind of, I didn't start in looking up pizza dough recipes and researching what pizza makers were doing. I I researched bread, um, because at its heart, that's all that pizza is. It's bread with, you know, with shit on it. Um, so once I understood the, the kind of the building blocks of bread and tested some things and made some things and, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of failure. Um, I then started to research, you know, how does bread relate to pizza dough? Um, and then I had to really think about time, temperature, how we were going to ferment it, how long, how short, how much yeast you would add, hydration. Um, and over time I came up with a, a fairly decent dough. I was baking out of a, you know, convection oven on a pizza stone. So, I knew that I had something that, that could work, but I didn't really know until we transferred into the actual space and cooked out of deck ovens. When I brought on Eric Rawlings, our, our chef de cuisine over at AP, we tweaked it. Um, he kind of played around with some things, played around with hydration. When we got into all-purpose, we had to change it as we built for volume, right? We were baking eight pies a day at Red Hen when we were testing, and then we had to start to test 200 a day, um, and then 300, and then 400. So... As you increase that recipe, it changes. But the biggest thing that I wanted out of the dough is I wanted to capture that kind of childhood feeling of eating pizza, right? That kind of innocent, you know, non-judgy feeling of just crushing some pizza. You know, one of my favorite memories is smelling the pizza in the car driving home. And um, when we started baking pies at at uh, all purpose, I started to smell that smell again, and I knew that we were on the right track. Yeah, I mean, but that that's out of equipment, too. You chose a deck oven. I mean, was the original concept for slices rather than whole pies? And why, why stray away from Neapolitan, which seems to be all the rage right now? Um, I, I, I don't like what every... I, if everybody's doing one thing, I usually try to move away. You know, when we opened up Red Hen, everybody was super into stuffed pastas, they were making pappardelle with boar ragu. They were doing fettuccines. They were doing tangerines. They were doing spaghetti alla cittata. For me, I was like, I don't want to do that. Let everybody do great things with that. I want to do dry pasta. I wanted to work with shapes. I wanted to explore the regional nature of pasta and how it related to the ingredients that it was being put with. 
or put into it, right? Like Orecchiette is created to catch chickpeas. Like th those, those little stories, those regional kind of, you know, quilts make up something that's bigger than just eating a bowl of pasta or, or eating a pizza for me. I think that, I think that there's history there that is exciting. And on that, we're going to take a quick note and come back and talk more Italian-American history with Mike Friedman. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. And welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Two mics talking pizza. Woo. Two mics on mics talking pizza. Mics with a Z. <laughs> that's, oh. So that's next <laughs> season of the food scene. Oh, yeah. Mics with a Z talking uh, pizza. Yeah. Hey. I usually don't get sound effects. Mind that of a chef. Are you listening? <laughs> this is a damn good episode. But it's Mike Friedman from Red Hen and All Purpose in D.C. And we're, we're going to start talking pizza. Um, these names, the Bayside, the Cosimo, the Duke number seven. I love when people name food and it's abstract and you see the ingredients underneath. So you at least know what's in it, but there's a story behind these names. What oh, is yeah. the name? What is the story behind these pizza names? So the original menu, when we opened up every single pizza was named after a pizza joint I ate at growing up in Jersey. So I'm a, I'm a Jersey guy. Um, so like the Buona, the Ferraro, the Cosimo, the Duke, uh, the Sorrento, they were all pizzas that, or they were all joints that I'd go for a slice or a pie that were in my hometown or like right across town lines in, into, you know, whether Scotch Plains or Fanwood or Clark, uh, those areas. Are, are the names reflective of those pizzas or are they um, their own thing? Some are. Like the Buona was like the place you went for just like a classic slice. So we named our pepperoni pie, which is now like the biggest seller the most classic on our on our menu. Um, we named it the Bona. We expanded the menu a little bit to honor some Neapolitan traditional pies. So um, the Sedgwick is a Quattro Formaggio. We have a marinara. The Bayside actually is a pretty cool story in the sense of the margarita, obviously named after Queen Marguerite that came and they made a pizza with the color of the flag. So I was like, how do we make that about us? So I thought about Queen Marguerite, Queen, Queen, Queens, right? And one of my good friends, Shish, grew up in Queens in Bayside. So we named it the Bayside. I, I love, I mean, they are a little tangential, but there is a thread going it, along. Everything has a thread. But yeah. then how did you end up with 
jardiniere on a pizza? Uh, I mean, that's all Eric Rawlings, man. Like, we were talking about putting a lot of pickled veg on pizza, but um, he came up with this amazing recipe for jardiniere that was just like super classic. And we were talking about how to incorporate that. And we just decided to finish it with it as an accent piece. It adds so much acid to the pizza and texture. And when we first opened, people were like, carrots on pizza? Cauliflower on pizza? You got to be kidding me. And then people would eat it and they crushed it. They loved it. It's one of my favorite pizzas I've ever had. And you know, there are those concept pies. And this is kind of neoclassical in the sense that you already have the foundation there with a great dough and, you know, a great crust and you know how to build flavors. But when is too much too much? Like, have you done anything and you had to reel yourself back in? Uh, it's a great question. I usually have to reel myself back in. Um, I, I do believe in the mantra of less is more. I do believe in that, you know, Coco Chanel quote that every time she left the house, she took off two pieces of jewelry. I feel the same way when I cook. You know, I, I usually remove a couple things. Um, but I that's, thought you were going to tell me that you wear a lot of jewelry when you cook. I mean, yeah. <laughs> only underneath you my know, clothes. I, I got to take off some of the bling before I yeah. get in the kitchen. I have a lot of, yeah, I have a lot of weird things. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, but, you know, we, we, we are simplistic in nature. That's kind of, that's grandma cooking, right? Like, it's simple. It's good. It takes finesse. It takes technique. It takes time and, and experience. Um, and you're always learning from it. You know, the pizza, kind of talking about the toppings and stuff like that, like we really had to figure what was going to be best for us. Um, you know, when you're, when you're really kind of nerding out on pizza, you, you talk about everything, right? From the salt content to what tomatoes you're going to use to what kind of cheese you're going to use. And we went through lots of processes for that. Ended up picking Bianco de Napoli tomatoes for our pies, uh, uncooked, just canned open, pureed with Sicilian oregano right off the vine and olive oil. And I mean, they're special tomatoes, not just because of their flavor, but they're from a master, Chris Bianco of Bianco's. The dude. Like, yeah. Yeah. This is the godfather of pizza in Literally. this country. Yes, he is. Yeah. He found a, a small plot of land in California with Rob DiNapoli, and they grew tomatoes in the style of San Marzano's. And the cool thing is they can on site and um, a little bit of basil, and they're crushed and then canned. And man, when you open them up, it literally smells like a tomato field. It's unbelievable. It's the best canned tomato in the world, hands down. I mean, then how do you choose your mozzarella? Um, the mozzarella was chosen. I mean, you have a lot of really crappy mozzarella out there, right? It's it's a lot of it's crappy from domestically and, and also internationally. But um, I wanted to go local. That was like a really big thing for me. Um, in this world, in this crazy world we live in, <laughs> um, um, local for me is anywhere you can drive in a day, you know, like not in like a day of like 24 hours straight, like coffee for a bread bowl, but 24 hours, good solid drive. Um, we looked at some creameries up and down the coast and, um, I had been using Calabro, uh, ricotta for quite some time. Uh, we got Frank, who's the cheesemaker. So this Sicilian dude who I'm pretty sure carries a, a shiv in his pocket at all times, um, came down to the restaurant and we did a full tasting of cheeses with him. He left us with some so we could bake with it. Um, and his he had like he has like five different mozzarellas. And the low moisture whole milk mozzarella in the loaf, we were able to grate and it melts beautifully on the on the pie. Yeah. I you, it was so amazing to see you at Lucali last night because you looked over and you saw that cheese, that ricotta just sitting there, and it almost felt like you you were um checking off a box like i did something right because we share this cheese 100 percent, man i mean like look i always think like i'm failing 
<laughs> I mean, like, I look at that and like, you know, for me, it, it feels like when I saw the cheese, you know, you feel like you're kind of like swimming with Titans, you know, I mean, that dude's using Calabra Ricotta and, and a lot of the pizzerias that we've gone to, uh, this trip and trips prior in Philadelphia and New York and, um, LA, we've seen, we've seen that cheese around a lot. So, um, it's a hand dip ricotta. It's really, really amazing. Uh, we've put it on pies. Uh, we use a lot of their a lot of their cheese. We use pretty much only, like exclusively, um, their cheese for our pizzas. We use a little bit of Taleggio, inter- you know, from Italy. We use a little bit of provolone from Italy. Uh, we finish our pies all with Grana Padano, but you know, it's it's Calabro through and through. Yeah, I mean, you have to have this foundational core, otherwise, it's not really pizza anymore. A hundred percent. But I agree. How far can you push pizza and it still be pizza? Well, I mean, that's a question for you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. That yeah. Well, I mean, you do an amazing, what, three-day cold fermentation. You do a blend of flours, uh, a little bit of malt powder in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a sourdough starter. But when does it kind of revert, revert back to bread? Ooh, I don't think it ever changed from bread. I think it's always bread. We always treat it as bread. And um, we're very specific about that. Um, if, you know, if you don't treat it like bread, I, I'm, you know... It's hard to it's hard to make it great. Um, we utilize extra dough and we roll it into baguettes. I mean, the dough is very versatile. Um, we've rolled it really thin and it bakes off like cracker. You know, we've rolled it really thick and it bakes off like focaccia. So there's, it has a lot of versatility because of its fermentation um, and it's a three day cold ferment. So it's got a lot of breadiness to it. I think we I think we, it, it, as pizza, it's amazing. So so. We always think of it as bread, but it is our pizza dough, obviously. It it can take so many different toppings. Like, it can hold a lot. Like, no joke, a lot of stuff. And it doesn't fall. You know, at, at AP, we say, like, the fold has to hold. Um, so we, we really, it, it's really bread at its heart. Um, and I, I don't think that we ever have gone away from that. But people are always enamored by the texture, by the flavor by you know how much versatility it has um when you eat it as pizza yeah i mean i don't know if this is actually a word but i, I feel like it's the most bakerly dough i've ever tasted Ooh, bakerly yeah it, it because it does it has that perfect maillard rather than these conditions that we see neapolitan pies where they blister and crack no doubt and and that's i mean partially due to a lower temperature in a deck oven but it's again constructed in this way to be versatile to be utilitarian because Pizza, I know, is about the sum of its parts, but it's really about all those separate parts kind of being perfunctory. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the idea of one plus one equals three, right? I mean, the idea that you've created this thing and you're enjoying it, but you, the experience as a whole makes it something different. Um, yeah, man. I mean, we don't get tired of eating it. Like it's it's not good, like for my waistline. <laughs> <laughs> but I never get tired of eating pizza. We never get tired of eating pizza. You know, you could sit down and eat a whole pie by yourself. Um, it's, it's shareable, you know, it's, it's kind of the thing that, you know, even from a historical standpoint started as, as something that was sold on the streets in America, you know, in the poor areas. Um, and then grew to prominence in, you know, red checkered tablecloth joints and then lost, lost a lot of love when regional Italian cooking came into play, but never really lost its soul, especially in New York. Right. Like when we talk about it not having a moment in D.C., uh, you know, and I don't know if the moment has come yet. Maybe we've 
helped to bring that moment about. But pizza is the one thing that is as American as apple pie, you know, and, and that's what I love about Italian food. It, it has become such a part of, of the American landscape. It's really been woven into what, what we are as Americans that, um, it's exciting to cook it. It's exciting to put my hands on it every day. It's exciting to change it and, you know, bring it back to its core. It's, it's, you know, it's all those things. I mean, aside from that comfort and that known menu of what Italian American cuisine is, there's also this style of service that I think went through that same trajectory as pizza did in the U S um, for a while, you know, it, it was just kind of this thing to satiate and then it became homey and comforting and brought people together. And then it became, uh, the economics of a restaurant and became more about, you know, an industry rather than this kind of service that was homey and comfortable and felt like a, a you know, second definitely. home. But what you do at your restaurant um, to make it so welcoming, aside from, you know, being there all the time and mm-hmm. touching tables, mm-hmm. like going and conversing yeah, with I'm your, definitely your the patrons. class clown yeah. of all purpose, yes. But I mean, that that's something that you expect when you say, I went to the pizza joint and like I saw Vinny behind the counter and like there's that interaction that I feel like has been lost in a lot of uh, American restaurants. Uh, I agree with you. I, I think that I think that at the end of the day, you know, we opened up restaurants because we love restaurants. We love the idea of people coming in and sharing their time with us. And we love making people happy. Um, I think, like you said, the economics of a restaurant started to change a little bit. Um, you know, restaurants in America grew larger and larger and quicker and quicker. And, you know, you lost that, that hospitality, you know, in New York, you, you see it coming back in full force in DC. We see it in the, in the smaller neighborhoods that are really popping up and focusing on that. And, and there's smaller restaurants now, you know, I don't like, I don't open up large restaurants. There's still restaurants that open up with 400 seats, you know, and I don't, I can't get my head around that. You know, I, I can't understand how that feels good. That's a lot of tables to touch. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a lot skinnier. Yeah. But I, what else, you know, what, what you also have is, is this ability to have this rapport uh, through like restaurant shtick. And, yes. But it's, it's not exhaustive in the sense that like I've heard you say certain things that are, you know, the, these quips and phrases and they make me giggle and laugh every time. And it's like you have this collection of them that's unending. How, how, do you collect those specifically for the restaurant? Are you quick on your feet when it comes to witty repartee? Um, I think I surround myself with other witty people that share my um, style of humor. Um, I think that you have to be able to make fun of yourself. I think that's like the best comedians always do that, right? Like the Rodney Dangerfields, the Mel Brooks, even the Johnny Carsons. You know, they were able to take away the the burden of ego and just get right to the point. And, and there's no ego in what we do at the restaurants at Red Hen or AP. Um, I just go, I, I want to make people laugh. Uh, I think that's, I think that's like my Jewish legacy yeah. to a certain extent, <laughs> right? My dad was a, a Jew from the Bronx and grew up, you know, loving comedians and, and, you know, Jackie Mason and danger fields and all those guys. And I grew up watching that stuff with my dad and, um, he had the gift of gab, and I, you know, happened to have, uh, you know, uh, gotten it through osmosis. So I definitely have a lot of quips that I guess I've built throughout the years. Uh, but I think it's all born out of humility, like being able to just laugh at yourself and being able to make fun of yourself and, you know, 
some of the best humor is the humor is the you know times when people fall right i mean that is hilarious i can't stop laughing when people fall <laughs> you but you're not walking around banana peeling yourself i am not no but no i, I think that i try to mix um a certain level of um intellectual humor with old school shtick yeah that that seems to work for most people trust me i've bombed at tables <laughs> you know i've bombed and you know kind of like you know hooked myself out of a situation but uh, for the most part people take me you know not too seriously and i'm able to 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 get a smile out of most people and also get the truth out of them right like if i disarm people with humor i'm able to get truth out of them you know how did you do how did you enjoy your experience how was everything um you know i like to tell people that if you go to ap and you know you didn't like it that i didn't cook it you know <laughs> and, and you know that tries that 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 disarms people and it, and it also you know, disarms their kind of um notions their preconceived notions of coming in you know we like to trick people when they come into ap we want them to think they're coming into a pizzeria we want them to think that they're just going to have a pie and leave and what they get is a housemate salumi program they get the best caesar salad you're ever going to have an eggplant parm that's out of this world and that garlic thing is knots dink. yeah it's oh, dirty yeah <laughs> it's dirty and I, and I love it because like you said it is disarming but it's not it's not that you don't want your food to be taken not seriously Good way to put it. Yeah. Good way to put it. I take my food very seriously so that other people don't have to. You know, we take our food very seriously so that other people don't have to. And I want it to taste great. I think I think we lost that a little bit in the industry for a while, right? We lost it when we were taking eight minutes to plate up one plate of food. One plate of food. You know, I think that we lost it when things got really fancy. You can still have those experiences. You're not going to have them when you come to my restaurants. You're going to come... My goal when I open up Red Hen and when I open up AP was that if you're a cook or a chef in the city and it's your day off, you want to come to my restaurant. That's like the biggest compliment I can get. Bigger than awards or accolades or stars or whatever, you know, and I have all of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about these one-liners. Do you have anything in the can? Like, do you, do you hear yourself saying the same thing over and over again? Uh, probably, I probably, yeah, probably the whole, you, there's a lot of Jewish jokes that I try to make, um, about myself, not other <laughs> Jewish people. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure if you asked other people, I know that there's a lot of Mike Friedman isms in the restaurants that roll through. I'm sure I say like giddy up a lot. And I, I sing quite a bit in the restaurants. Um, I sing just like random, strange songs. I sing Christmas songs in July just to piss people off. I mean, I, I try to just have fun. I try to lift people's spirits when I'm there. Um, as the owner, as the chef, uh, you know, part of my job is to read people's attitudes and make sure that they're happy and make sure that they're staying happy. And in terms of one, one-liners, though, I don't know. I, I always, you know, I don't know. I can't think of it. I have a lot of like Spanish things that I say um, to to my guys that uh, that come, you know. I say like "Por qué la violencia," which they love. They laugh their asses off. It's, <laughs> they just love talking about violence. Yeah. So, so <laughs> well, what a note to end on. But I, <laughs> but I, I I think you know the great thing about going to AP is that uh, pizza is never singular. 
you know, the experience has so much going on other than just crushing a slice or, you know, sharing a pie with friends that, you know, you've created a space that has this everlasting ambiance that hopefully carries outside of the restaurant. So people are full and giddy and, you know, uh, tickled in a way from, you know, whatever banter you've given them at the table. But, you know, that's what food should be. It should be satiating, but it also should be elevating in so many different ways uh, other than white tablecloth. Of course. And, and I don't want to ever mock white tablecloth. I, I came from that world. I cooked in that world. I love that world, you know, and, um, I love that world, preferably on you know someone else's dime. But um, it's a it's a wonderful world where innovation is key to continuation of success. And um, you know, if you're not innovating, if you're not pushing yourself further and further and further in that world, then um, it's going to be difficult to succeed in that world. The world that we live in is we push ourselves from a creative standpoint, but we have a we have a, uh, a, a structure to live within, right? We have the hyper-seasonal that we live within. We have the traditional that we live in. And then we have um, the ability to play on, you know, the modern reality of, of what we have in front of us, what kind of ingredients we can utilize and get our hands on. You know, 150 years ago or 100 years ago, you couldn't get sriracha. You couldn't get sambal. You couldn't get fish sauce for the most part. So we're able to kind of utilize different flavors in, in fun ways and, and have fun with it. But... You know, the idea is always for me is, is, is making people happy. And I think that if you're not doing that, you're not doing it right. And I think that uh, people come back to Red Hen and all purpose uh, because they were happy the last time they were there. And our goal is to make sure that they're happy when they come back. Italian influence, mid-Atlantic ingredients, Mike Friedman. Go see him and have a blast at Red Hen, all purpose. And, you know, bring back a, a pizza for me. I know we're in Brooklyn, but... I crave that crust. It's, it's uh, the next most, time I'm back, I'll, I'll bring some. Most bakerly I've ever had. I gotta cook it. Yeah, I gotta cook it in uh, Roberta's oven. See how it works. Oh, absolutely. Well, this is the end of this year's third season, right? Yeah, this is this is the th- finale. This is the finale. Oh my yeah, god, I feel I mean, so special. <laughs> so Woo! you know, 2018's coming. And uh, as you know, HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a 501c3 nonprofit. So if you like listening to this show and the 30-plus we have in this station, uh, please check out our website and donate what you can. Be a member. Support Food Radio in the future. So a big thank you to Hearst Ranch for sponsoring this show. Music by Cookies, David Tattashore Engineering. And I'll see you all next year. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.